The Sober Curious Reset is a workbook and self-study program designed to guide you through 100 days alcohol-free. I created it to help people apply everything that I've learned over six years of leading the Sober Curious movement to your life today and to help you create a sustainable shift to your drinking going forward. Now, I know 100 days of not drinking can sound a little intimidating, but I designed it that way to give you a real taste of all the benefits of living alcohol-free. Having heard from hundreds of people who have now completed the program, I can also say with confidence that this extended, intentional break from drinking can be an absolute game-changer. Each day of content in the book poses a different sober curious question. This could be everything from what do I want to make space for in my life today to what am I trying not to feel? Along with a specific teaching on each entry, there's also an interactive exercise for you to engage with. You can get the Sober Curious Reset wherever you buy your books. And you can also join the Sober Curious Book Facebook group to connect with thousands of others who are engaged with this work. I hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Warrington, and my guest today is Aubert Bastiat. Aubert is the co-founder of Sacred Sons, a global brotherhood that facilitates gatherings, workshops, and trainings focused on helping men discover a healthy connection to their masculinity. It's always struck me that substance abuse goes hand in hand with unhealthy or what is often termed toxic masculinity. Alcohol especially can enable a three-dimensional caricature of what it means to be a man, aggressive, violent, sexually entitled, that causes so much harm in the world. And I knew that Aubert, who has a background of addiction and recovery, would be the perfect person to speak to this. Our conversation goes to some deep, vulnerable, and incredibly inspiring places. And the episode kind of speaks for itself, so I'm keeping this intro short and sweet. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Aubert Bastiat. Aubert, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, so I, I, I'd let you know I was going to do a little kind of preamble before we started talking just to kind of give you some of the background into why I reached out. And it's, it's pretty simple. Like, I really love your Sacred Sons Instagram account. Um, it always puts a smile on my face. And I always, when I find myself there... Find myself wishing I could be a fly on the wall to hear the conversations that are being had because it strikes me that these are some very important conversations, you know, and um, it just, it, just the way that you share what you do and the way you curate the account and the way you present the work that you're doing gives me so much, such a good feeling about like where we're going, you know, <laughs> and I found myself looking at it and think, and, and this phrase, this is sober masculinity just kept coming to me. And by that, I was sort of feeling like this is emotionally mature. This is able to deal with reality as it is. This is yes. not shying away from the difficult feelings and it's not kind of um, not projecting shit onto other people. Like this is sobriety embodied in masculinity. And then I remembered mm. from our first meeting two and a half years ago that you are sober and you have a history with sobriety and, and, and substance recovery as well. And so that was, that's it. That's the preamble. That's why I just thought, well, this is a, such a, this is a conversation I really want to have and you are the person I want to have it with. So thank you again for joining me. And I think just yes. to, just to kind of um, kick off since this is the Sober Curious podcast, I'd love to hear about your journey with substance use and abuse 
um, and perhaps kind of how that was um, tied into what you learned early on about what it means to be a man. Mm. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much for all of that, Ruby. And yes, it's an honor to be here with you uh, speaking to, yeah, it's exactly what it is. Uh, sober masculinity is a, a beautiful way to frame it. Uh, and whether men are coming in uh, sober or, or uh, you know, going through recovery or, you know, really recognizing addiction in different areas of their life, uh, you know, it's a, it's a special place to come into that sound mind, you know, that is a root, really, that is what being sober is. It's being clear, clear thinking and, and clear feeling even. Um, and so, yeah, uh, my journey with uh, addiction started out pretty young, I'd say uh, in high school, uh, got, you know, uh, started kind of dabbling in different substances. And I do want to say before diving in that I, I do believe that there is, um, there is a, a good way to approach uh, altered states of consciousness, you know, and, and for some with uh, histories of addiction, uh, maybe that looks like not taking any substance at all, but you, utilizing sound medicine or uh, just different, you know, sweat lodge. There's so many different means uh, to deepen into non-ordinary reality, you know, and that's, I think, at the core of uh, often what we're seeking in our addiction is an escape from, you know, uh, the heaviness, the trauma, the, the blocks, uh, the feelings of being incomplete or, or disconnected, right? That, that's really driving the behavior. And, you know, so there's a part of that impulse that's, it's, it's, it's corrective. It's, it's, it's seeking correction. It's seeking wholeness, right? And so that's what I was really doing when I was younger. Uh, but there was the unconscious aspect of it was so, um, you know, I was 15, you know, stepping into that space and really kind of being naive and, and really not knowing uh, what was possible. I mean, we hear in elementary school and our youth, we hear like, oh, just say no. It's so simple when you're young. Why would I ever do drugs? They ruin your life. They, 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 they mess up your brain. Why would I ever want to? I'm, I'm never doing drugs. Just Pepsi for me. I remember thinking that like just soda for me, but that I was already getting into that substance, you know, I was already getting into substance in a way. You know, I drank a lot of soda, you know, early on. So I think there was um, a prelude to deeper addiction, even in my childhood. Uh, and that coupled with really the ancestral trauma of my mother and my father, you know, my father and my mother both being uh, in so many ways uh, emotionally stunted, you know, which led to different dysfunction, dysfunctions in the relational dynamic. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it was, it was uh, a lot. It was a lot to uh, grow up in a household where uh, there was so much unresolved trauma, you know, that happened so early on being, you know, having their, because of their circumstance, because of their family, you know, there's different reasons on both sides, but they kind of drew each other in a trauma bond. It wasn't like this, you know, conscious relationship. It was an unconscious falling into, mm. um, and, you know, so their, the relationship and my mother being of Taiwanese descent, my father being American with European ancestry, uh, I think that just that East and West, masculine and feminine, uh, you know, in, in many ways, my father was narcissistically wounded. You know, he was unable to really access emotions, I, I, as I experienced it at the time, beyond anger, you know, 
anger was mm-hmm. I would say that was pretty much the the main thing. And you know, we had our fun times and stuff. I don't want to paint him as uh, an awful human being, but father, uh, I, 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 I had to go through uh, just a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of reckoning, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of mistakes, a lot of acting out, a lot of dead ends, a lot of hurting myself and others in so many ways. And so, you know, that was a carryover from his trauma, you know, from his family. So that like cross-generational, uh, and then in, in my mother as well, you know, uh, one of five children, um, you know, mother's washing her clothes when, when she was a, a child washing clothes in the river. Like, so just like ma- major chores and also the, uh, the responsibility to care for her siblings, you know? And so that, and then meeting together and really just having so much unresolved, uh, that, that we, you know, me and my sisters received it and, mm. and my sister, younger sister didn't make it, you know, she chose to end her life, uh, back in 2009. And, and that was shortly, uh, bef- shortly after I had actually gotten sober, I'd gotten clean. Uh, so it was pretty much 15 on and off, uh, till I was 23 and it was 24 that I had my uh, mystical awakening, mm. uh, and, you know, direct experience with God where I was really at the, the edge of life and, and was really done, done with living, you know? And so through all those years from that, that, uh, you know, just kind of being brought up in, in a chaotic household uh, with really just a lot of trauma, <laughs> a, a, a lot to witness. So it was a lot. I laugh because it's like, when I go back there, I'm like, man, I'm a miracle. <laughs> I'm a miracle. Like I, you know, and my, my wife reflected that to me, she's like knowing, knowing my mother and having lived with her, you know, she's living with us for the past three years. She's like, Oh my God, you're a miracle. Um, I don't know how you did it. And, and so I, I, I did it as best I could, you know, and, and I think using was a part of the coping, right. Of just like the escape of like, no, that's not real. That's not my life. And, you know, running, it was mm-hmm. running away from, from the pain of my family running away from uh, just feeling helpless, helpless in the face of, of uh, just so much tragedy, uh, you know, tragedy in relationship and, and seeing my mother's struggles and us mo- moving through poverty. So yeah, uh, from 15 to 24, all those years, uh, there was, yeah, there was uh, addiction, acute addiction on and off. There are periods of sobriety for sure. Um, but uh, by and large, uh, it was uh, escalating. You know, my usage was escalating, and it was primarily methamphetamine. But I dabbled in, uh, you know, opiates as well, uh, alcohol, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, really, all as a means uh, to cope and to uh, feel. I, I, for me, I think it was to feel something other than than anger and and. and, and pain and heaviness and overwhelm and just like, fuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It makes so much sense. Thank you so much for, for, for almost setting that up within the context of your upbringing. Cause I think that that's something that so often comes so much later. And this speaks to, you know, the, the number of years you've spent working on your sobriety and looking at 
the phrase that's coming to term because I've been doing a lot of research around this for my new project is emotional inheritance and mm. how we in, we inherit the emotions of our parents as much as we do their thoughts and their beliefs and their quote-unquote teachings you know so the emotions we experience in our home become our emotions too and our emotional responses to the world and what you just described is growing up in a very traumatized angry possibly fearful home environment it makes so much sense that of course you would find very numbing substances when I think of substances like methamphetamine and opioids and alcohol I'm thinking numbing as opposed to you know cannabis and more the sort of psychedelic substances which maybe enhance emotions like so it makes sense as well and the fact that you shared that with so much awareness for, for what was going on that you um I'm guessing a kind of a sensitive aware awake human you know so yeah. yeah of course from your 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 caregivers who are supposed to be the people providing safety and stability and boundaries and all of those things that are unable yeah. to do that you're looking for some kind of guardrails you know something oh, yeah. else to something else <laughs> to just kind of like this is this is who I am so yeah it does when you put it in that context it just sort of makes so much sense that you would find those substances oh yeah oh yeah yeah, I was going to say at times it, they felt like, uh, you know, my best friend, you know, like life preservers, like, you know, and, until they became like my, my worst enemy in, in some ways. But they were, you know, I think over time through addiction, it like rewires our, our you know, our neurochemistry and really like deepens us into like the density of of, of the universe, you know, if you want to look at like a scale of, you know, really density being like just the heaviest of emotions, uh, the most tragedy, the most hellish of, of experience to like maybe the most, the, the most numinous, the lightest, the, the most high, you know, the creator, the universe, the unconditional love that like um, that range. And I think substances, they might give us that peak. Sometimes we're seeking that peak experience and we get tapped into that at times it's like, oh, wow, you know, you were tasting some, some of the ineffable, some, something beyond, some part of it, right? Uh, even if it's distorted and uh, we project all kinds of stuff onto it, it's, it's a taste of, uh, you know, something greater. And so there's also that part of it, but that can quickly just, just fall right into it, especially if there's un, unhealed trauma, like there was in my case. And I think so many people that get into addiction, pretty much unequivocally, you know, have traumas. Otherwise I I find, you know, I have friends that just never got into addiction and they're like, just like, no, not for me. You know, they didn't necessarily have that same emotional inheritance, right? you know? Yeah, exactly. And I also, you just reminded me, I like the fact that right at the top of the conversation, you pointed out that to reach for those higher states is actually part of our humanity. And it's, there's nothing damaged about that like it's actually um we're look we're searching for something outside of ourselves we're searching to have a numinous experience it's just that so many of the ways that we have access to that within our society are through these very potentially very harmful and often addictive substances which then you layer on top of unprocessed trauma and it's a, a very a downward a rapid can be a rapid downward spiral <laughs> so, you mentioned, so you mentioned um you know, the other part of my question was like, how did this, how did this kind of, um, this friendship with substances 
how did that sort of dovetail with what your early experiences of yourself as a mm. man were, like your early experiences of masculinity and what it meant to be a man? It sounds like you had quite mm-hmm. a domineering kind of perhaps classically patriarchal mm-hmm. figure, figure in your yeah. father. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> what else can and you I love my dad. That? You know, we've come yeah. a long way. I just want to say, you know, like uh, for all his faults, you know, he had uh, had redeeming qualities and, you know, encouraged me and stewarded me into like, uh, science and, and the earth and natural world and got me really, you know, uh, excited and curious about life. And he'd answer all the questions, you know, I'd, about space. And I was just such a curious boy. And so, you know, he, you know, I, I believe that we are born into the families that we're meant to be born into so that we can grow as a consciousness, as a soul and learn vital lessons in how we can become God, you know, how, like this becoming process, this process that the Buddha, that Christ, that Krishna, that all these different figures from around the world walked, you know, and of course, you know, if you're blessed to, to be born into royalty and just like have all the worldly things taken care of and the, you know, no trauma, that's like the springboard that some get if you're, you're here to fulfill that level of mission, like, mm-hmm you know, anchor God onto this continent in this time in an undeniable way for generations and generations to come like these, mm-hmm. these messiahs. Right. Um, but for me, I was born into a, you know, and that's karmic, you know, I have karma to resolve. I have, I have pieces that I need to reclaim and, and, and let go of, you know, in this, this alchemical process of becoming. And so, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful um, mosaic of life that, that we get to take part in. Um, but in terms of growing up, become coming into your manhood, you're a fifteen. Oh yes, you're yes, a fifteen. Yes, yes. You're a fifteen-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You're Californian. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, so, what's California. the what's the yeah. environment that you're growing up in? What are you getting you know, like, from the culture oh, about masculinity? Oh wow, yeah. Like, like you know, there's. I think because of the loss of the elders and our connection to the natural world and these initiations, these rites of passage that indigenous cultures and tech cultures had that we did not have. It was my, my, you know, uh, stepping into masculinity and my idea of what it is to be a man, of course, wrestling with those questions with an absent father, my father was not in my life. And so that was my initiation Mm -hmm. is the split between my mother and my father, like the the big split that was really a, a point of trauma before I went into middle school. And so Losing my personal father and being initiated on a path, like it felt like a, my own hero's journey of like, what, it, what is it to be a man? Because I, I, that's a question I had. Because mm. the example of a man that I had in my father uh, was like just that very patriarchal, oppressive, angry, discon- emotionally disconnected, really in his head mm. or in his genitals, man, mm. you know, disconnected from the heart, the wisdom of the heart. And so you know, this period of, of coming into puberty and, and a lot, lots of the confusion and like, definitely, I think being hyper-sexualized, like getting into, I got into pornography, like pretty early on elementary school, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I think that that's also part of uh, the absent father, right? Not having a father there to really steward, you know, principles to live by. What is it to be a man? Well, I didn't get any of that blueprint, mm. at least outwardly. And I was looking to my peers you know, for, for insights on how, and I think I did, you know, along with uh, finding the wrong uh, models of masculinity, like kind of that our culture held up as, oh, this is a masculine man. 
you know, he's a rapper, he's a gangster, he's been to jail, he's hurt people, he sells drugs, whatever it might be. He makes a lot of money, he gets a lot of women, you know? And so this like classical idea that's really sold into us is proliferated through popular culture about what is it to be a man? We see in the movies growing up, in cartoons, it starts very early on. And so my whole life is really from the dominant patriarchal perspective that, you know, filters out through all kinds of media, culture and modern pop culture. And so, yeah, it, you know, it really was, a, I think, part of my exploration with substances. It started out with like, uh, you know, I found Earwig pretty early on. And so I was really drawn to like psychedelics. I was really drawn to that world of like, what is this world? And so before I got into heavy addiction, I did try cannabis and that, you know, opened up exploration with other psychedelics. Um, we weren't really able to get our hands on much. And so sometimes we would like, you know, like morning glories, LSA, lysergic amides, right? This is like uh, a precursor to lysergic acid, which is LSD. And so you could get morning glory seeds uh, from like the Home Depot. And so we just get a bunch of packs of these morning glory seeds and eat a bunch of morning glory seeds and, and have a trip, like a crazy wow. intense trip, <laughs> just throwing ourselves into the deep end. You know, me and my uh, two of my friends, um, you know, two of my dear friends that we, you know, went on these like psychonautic explorations with. And so it really did start in this like, you know, uh, innocent and also just like a part of our consciousness wanting to know what this is. What are we in? What is reality? What is life? What are we? Mm. You know, and so mm. I think this this instinctual longing to know who we are as and that definitely coupled, we, you know, we are guys, we are, we are finding our way in high school, you know? And so um, I think that at least initially there was this like, you know, innocent um, and maybe even healthy to some degree of just like, what is reality wanting to know ourselves more and, and really not having the answers anywhere around us. We're going to school, you know, just the way things are set up. Our parents are, you know, don't have the pieces, mm. um, not having a, a you know connection with my grandfathers, they had already both were deceased, and so without that strong masculine role model of, of a, a man who carries the father archetype, what the what the father really is as like a reflection of the great father, embodied in a in a, in a human and a man, and someone that I could look to, I looked to all the wrong ones to fill the void that I had within from having an absent father, mm. and so you know at least initially. Um, that exploration, I think, was was curative. It was looking for um, it was an, looking for a solution to what I felt was you know off inside. Something was amiss. I didn't and I didn't have the support or inner capacity to face that. Yeah. And so it started out like that. Right. And then right. It, and then as I found the harder stuff, it was like really. I mean, it's it's seductive, you know, in the beginning because it's just like wow, you feel powerful. I felt powerful. I felt connected. I felt whole. You know, so it really was like, um, it was touching something very deep. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never felt this good. I've never felt this safe. I've never felt this whole, you know, and it's been from that place. And then like, you know, just really struggling, falling in and even in high school, you know, and my friends could see that there's, there's, you know, I was going through challenges. They knew that I had a chaotic family household and it was challenging and, I don't think people really knew how to approach it, but I, I had some really good friends that were pulling for me that were my friends through it all. You know, I was pretty socially connected. I was like on stage. I was the commissioner of spirit. You know, I was an ASB. I was in all the AP classes. I was in sports, you know, the water polo. And so I was connected. And it was interesting to go through that. And, you know, I finally graduated and I ended up going to jail and that getting back, you know, to like 
people and then like, oh man, Aubrey really, you know, they had a, I was, I went by Aubrey back then. Mm. Um, I was ashamed actually of the, the, the French pronunciation, the, the, uh, the natural pronunciation of it. But um, yeah, so it, it tied in. There was a lot of like proving, a lot of like wanting to fit in into the crowd of wanting to connect deeper in real ways. And, you know, the parties in high school, if you're, you're drinking and you're, you're having a good time, it's just part of the culture. And it, and it does, it, to a certain extent, it's, it's supportive of us, you know, letting down all the guards and defenses that we've learned to put on, you know, by culture, by society, by family, by, you know, because of our wounds. And so it kind of was that social lubricant in some ways at times, but then it can go, deeper into it it can go deeper in you know and it becomes an escape and it becomes counter it hurts us it starts hurting us this is one of the slippery things about substances i feel it especially with alcohol that it kind of simultaneously helps us take off a mask whilst putting on another Mm. mask you know it makes us feel like we're being more vulnerable and connected and that but we're actually doing that by putting on a mask of what we think will be accepted and what we think you use the word powerful as well you said these drugs made me feel powerful and I feel like power is a kind of positively masculine force or energy when I think about power I think about it in quite a masculine way I suppose and so I said yeah there was something there that really resonated where you said this made me feel powerful you know yeah, because, you know, as boys, I think I just, you know, we all need to feel a sense of like, I'm in control of my life. I'm powerful. I'm like, I'm, I'm safe here. Like nobody's going to can fuck with me in this vibe, like in this energy, what I'm feeling like I know connected to more, more of my energy. Right. And so um, as men, you know, as boys, you know, wanting to prove ourselves as like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a man. Yeah, I'm tough. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I can do it. You know. Um, there's something about that, you know, on, on our passage from boyhood to manhood of like proving ourselves of, of being worthy of being, you know, able, uh, and maybe sometimes it's misguided and goes off in the wrong direction into like hyper-masculine, um, you know, behavior that's really, it's, it's destructive. It's self-destructive and other destructive very often. Yeah. It's trying to prove something. It's not just being you know, with the truth of what we are and it's not a, it's not an authentic place. So it's like a, a layer of armor, a protection. Well, yeah, it's yeah. making me think that there's, there's a difference between sort of power in terms of agency and sovereignty mm. and then power over, like in terms of domination, they're, they're sort of two sides of that coin. Right. And I think when we talk about like toxic masculinity, we think much more about domination and mm-hmm. power over others, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. again, relating that to substances, it's like you feel empowered when you're high and yet this substance is, has power over you. And this, I mean, goes straight into the kind of lexicon of 12-step <laughs> programs, like admitting that I am powerless is, the, is step one to recovery, right? <laughs> uh, what, how can we give away what we haven't even accepted, right? How can we overcome what we, what we don't even fully accept or take ownership of? Yeah. It's foundational. Yeah. So tell yeah. me, you described, you said um, around age 24, you had your, I think you said mystical awakening. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Is that the term you used? And I'm wondering if that's your term for your rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was my like uh, rock bottom followed by white light, um, salvation, uh, rebirth experience wow. Uh, wow. where, you know, cause I, I grew up in an atheistic household. Just, there was no God, there was no spirituality even. Mm. It was very materialistic, very dog eat dog, very 
survival feeling of just like in the denser, <laughs> denser realms of life, you know? Mm. Uh, and so well, when I tap into that energy of like, of my childhood, I get, I'm like right there. It's like, it's like, wow. You know, cause my mother, I'm, I'm moving through it right now as, as a man and this role reversal that's been happening as I'm shifting into caretaking and, and being a, a, almost a father to my mother in some ways, like having fatherly responsibility for her. Mm. And so it just, it's wild when I go back and, and, and go back into, cause I've done so much inner child work and inner boy work and just so much wholeness and resolution from that. But yeah, growing up in an atheistic household and, and not having God or spirituality or any connection to the sacred, there was nothing was sacred. That's the thing. You know, there was no tradition. There was no, like, you know, we celebrated birthdays, but there was no Christmas. There's no holidays. Really. It was very like, just, nope, it's not real. And so very just like, this is what you get. This is all, uh, everything you see is all you, that's all there is. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I think that that, you know, set me up to, you know, to avoid some, some, some people, some traumas that people have to work through with religion, like with overbearing religion. So I didn't have that side of it that I mm-hmm. hold space for a lot of men who are coming out of Christianity and other religions that might've been like really with that patriarchal toxic dominating, it's almost like top, you know, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, of masculinity, the shadow side of masculinity and organized religion, you know? Um, but yeah, it was that experience of, of, uh, really being at rock bottom and really being at a point where I was committed to, I I decided to end my life. I was, I was just like, so disgusted with myself. I had so much self self loathing and just like uh, shame and just like, just, and, and, and all the unresolved trauma, it was all compounding. Everything was compounded. And like, I'd lost, you know, a lot of good people in my life because they're like, you can't be here for who you're become, who this is. This isn't, this isn't, like the man, the brother, the friend that we've known, you know? And so I just really got to a point in my family, you know, uh, we had moved back in. I, my mother was living with my two sisters um, in, our, in our apartment that we grew up in, uh, in through high school. And she was, you know, my, my younger sister, Shonda was actually, she, she had experienced a rape in middle school by her sisters uh, or friends, uh, her best friend's older brother. And that really opened her up to uh, going through, um, you know, psychotic episodes and, and then having to be put on uh, pharmaceutical drugs, you know, antidepressants and antipsychotics and mood stabilizers and just cocktails of drugs that really, um, you know, made it difficult for her to exist in reality. And so kind of feeling a, a deep responsibility, but like just going through my own, um, inability to cope with life, you know, like I was, work, I, I've been working since I was 15. So I was always like had that. And so I think, um, you know, just going through periods of addiction and losing jobs and then having to get other jobs. And I was always somehow able to find a way. And I had a really good job at the time. Um, and I was just like really wanting to become better and become free of addiction for my family. Cause we had been, we, you know, my mother called us back in to support my younger sister who had just like really was having it bad and she kind of painted it as in like, we need you uh, right now. And, you know, you have this new job. It's good. It's, it's a good paying job. So maybe come back and, and maybe we can get a, a rent a house together. So she has a better home environment. And so we did that, you know, we, we pulled together um, our resources and mm-hmm. rented a house in a, in a good area. And um, there was an opportunity to kind of go, go through 
another round of adolescence in a way, feeling in a way, even though I was like now playing the role of father in, in, a, in, a, in a way, you know, there was like that um, dad's gone and I'm showing up as dad in some ways now, but I was not able to do that. I was not emotionally, psychologically in a place where I could hold that responsibility. And so it was crushing me. It was feeling like, uh, you know, just so much shame with the addiction and un- not being able to quit. I wanted so badly to quit. I'd always wanted to quit, you know, uh, but I was never able to find a way to quit. Um, and I did quit actually for, for some years, uh, you know, in my early twenties and I had a good run of being sober because I went to jail and I was on probation. And so I had a built-in mechanism to keep me sober. I had to call every day to see if I'd be drug tested the next day or I go to prison, right. you know? And so it was like built in. And so I had sobriety through that period that really set my life up in a good way. I was able to, I got good jobs. I was able to maintain good relationships then I slipped back in after I got probation sometime. And I think I, I was also um, selling marijuana at the time. And I think that was set me up for, you know, connecting with the wrong crowd. And anyway, um, so this was, you know, I fell back into that. I was in a, a place of, uh, you know, active addiction and then also responsibility uh, that I felt to my sister and my family to like be this upstanding, uh, you know, brother, father figure, older brother figure. Um, I wasn't able to do that. And so I just came to the point and felt like I'm better off dead. You know, um, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and so I, one night I just, I set out to do that. I was uh, really just determined and I was grieving it. I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm really going to do this. And so I was just crying uh, alone in my room uh, and just like, kind of preparing myself like, okay, like this is it. And um you know, came to resolve, came to a point of resolution. And there's a part of me that just cried out, you know, uh, it cried out to God. It was like my soul cried out to God. And, uh, you know, God, if you're real, I need to know. I need to know. Because uh, if you're God, you know, you know, because I'm, uh, you know, that I'm serious and I'm going to end my life. And then, you know, my whole room started vibrating with this energy. And that vibration started on the outside of me and then it, it came inside me and it was, it was God. It was God. It was, it was unconditional love. It was, it was being, having all my pain taken away and just being cradled and loved more deeply and more, more fully than I'd ever known was possible. And I'd experienced love and unconditional love in my human relationships with women and good friends. But this was another another experience that was beyond, it was beyond, it was beyond. It shattered my ideas of, of reality of myself, of what this life is about, of what, who I am and what this is, you know, and, and God stayed with me, you know, for 20 minutes and it God really fundamentally opened my spiritual heart. It opened my heart up to experience and begin in the healing process that needed to happen, open up my armor and, and, and removed it so that I could begin feeling so that I could, start feeling again. And there's still many years after that experience of, of awakening to God that, and, and God, you know, I made, I made a vow. I'm like, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. This is the meaning of my life. You are everything. This is why I'm here. If I could feel so worthless and so just didn't deserve to live. That's how I felt that I didn't deserve to live. And that God could, would answer my prayer and say, yes, you, you do deserve to live. You do deserve to live. And I love you. And I've always been here and I will always be here. This is an absolute revelation, absolute revelation that the shift of the whole course of my life. And, and from that point on, I, you know, I just 
was on the path of healing, of, of studying different world religions and just expanding in so many ways. And whew. Wow. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. I mean, I think what you just described, to, it is what we're looking for when we're seeking these kind of, like we said, numinous, we're looking for that experience you just described of feeling held, witnessed, loved. Yes, you deserve to be here. Yes, you are, you know, you are the embodiment of, of, of God. Like that's really what we're looking for. And you were given that experience at that pivotal moment. It's incredible, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't, I, you know, I didn't find recovery in AA and although I have so much respect for AA and, and where that comes from, you know, the 12 steps, I didn't go through that traditional, wow, God right. grabbed me wow. and answered my prayer and loved me and, and guided me. I, and we, you know, I get messages and I follow that, those breadcrumbs, you know, yeah. and it was growing in my, my ethics. Cause that's really the foundation of it is a fundamental reorientation to the sacred, to the numinous, to the most high, to the creator, to the source of all existence. Like we get to be a part of this miracle that we're numb to. So many of us are numb to, and we seek these substances to try to tap into it and to touch it, to feel it for a little while, mm-hmm. but it's, it's here. It permeates all existence. And so it's like, that's why, you know, it's so crucial to have practices and like, you know, healing practices, breath work and, and, and meditation and these, these foundations uh, of, of spiritual living that are crucial that really we're seeking in substances, mm-hmm. but it's here for us to find in so many different ways that mm-hmm. we've lost as I think that we're finding again. I don't want to say we lost, but that yeah. people are now just finding and come connecting to. Yeah, we're reconnecting to. Yeah. So yeah. so can you describe how this um how this all kind of led you into your work with Sacred Sons and why you why this this path of awakening and this path of spiritual awakening came to be tied up with um the work you're doing around masculinity specifically? Yeah, you know, uh it wasn't my plan. It wasn't like something I set out to do. That's the interesting piece of it. It was always God guiding me on. I didn't know. I was just a blunt. I was open. I was like, I don't know how. And so just through, you know, have my foundation, I would say is just seeing the the golden thread that weaves all through all the religions of, of like guiding us to learn how to live as humans. Like that's what like really the religions are, are, are meant for. They happen all around the world. There's a point of revelation that happened in a person and a human and whether they came on a mission to do that or not. And they achieved that in this lifetime, there was a, a direct revelation that really kind of sparked that fire of, mm-hmm. of like dying to what we aren't to embody what we really are. Right. And so that was what that was for me in many ways of this process of dying, you know? And so, um, you know, now that I was, I was just completely cracked open to like, okay, I have no idea now. <laughs> I had no idea except for this, this intense, revolutionary experience that showed me like, I'm a part of this, that we're all a part of this. The God, like God, this unconditional love, all forgiving, all loving force that birthed all of this. And so like, now it's my responsibility to understand that deeply. Mm. And so I set out on a path of just excavating, of, of studying, of researching, of exploring through, through academia and also through direct experiences with therapy and healers, different modalities, and just started going on my search. I had mm-hmm. no idea, mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't in 
community. I wasn't in, on social media in such a way that I even knew any of that. I was just like, like a hermit living my life and like walking the path, you know, living in the muggle world, working in IT, <laughs> you know, I was an IT yeah. engineer and working, you know, and, 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 you know, living this double life of like exploring my consciousness and, and learning what this is all, all about, you know, through spiritual practice and uh, nature and, and, and relationship and, and, and study and practice. And so, and just um, very quickly to interject there, no desire to use drugs after that experience, despite having oh, there, had kind of, yeah. Oh, there were, there were, mm. there were periods of time, like I said, after that experience, a year after that, and I had shown, been shown a vision uh, by God uh, of, of my, my sister Shonda jumping off a building and, 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 and me jumping in that vision, I, I jumped off after her and then I, I died and I, I was like, I, I teleported into this like purgatory this like no man's land i'm like oh my god i don't have a body anymore it was like so it was like giving me an experience of what it would anyways mm. that was symbolic of what would, what would would actually happen where with at least just with with my younger sister shonda when she ended mm. her life a year after my revelatory mm. experience and so that was to prepare me in many ways i, I feel um, to be able to meet that. Cause I, I became, I, 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 I was also on a mission to save my sister after God saved me. I felt like fully, like I'm here to save my sister. I'm here to save her. You know, I tried my best. I, mm-hmm. I gave all of myself to trying to help her, you know, and have her pray with me. And, you know, I really pray when I was praying, I'd pray for an hour a day or two hours a day, you know, it was, it was a practice and it was spoken and felt and praying deeply. And so I would bring her into my morning practices and she would cry, you know, she would feel, and I did all I could, but I, I didn't have the tools or know how, and I don't know if anybody could have, and I just um, wasn't able to, uh, but really that, um, her death really accelerated that um, my process of like just being on a mission. And I did relapse after that. I did relapse. Um, I relapsed. And and I remember the day that I did and I was just, you know, um, I moved, it just finished finals. Um, I just moved houses because we bought a house together as a family. You know, this was, also kind of this crazy part of this enmeshment that was mm-hmm. like also that something I had to uproot and move through, but um, just going through such a tumultuous time and grieving and pulling my, my, both my sister and my mother lost their jobs and they were both in deep depression. My sister, older sister was beating have like manic episodes because she was also bipolar. And my, you know, it was just a very fucking, you know, uh, difficult time, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I relapsed and, uh, I remember I did and I just felt so much shame and I felt like I failed God and God. um, Yeah. God reached right out to me and and just like, was right there. Um, And just like, I felt him pulling and her, him is it's isness pulling the, the the toxins, the the meth from my system and just pulling it out of me as I was feeling so much remorse for, for faltering. And um, just like love me, and I, I renewed after that, and, and kept going on the path. And um, but it was really kind of that tied together in, in in my own healing journey of like going into therapy, spent you know several years in therapy and in group therapy, and then stepping into wanting to become a therapist myself and going in that route. Mm. Um, 
having experienced uh, two years of undergrad undergrad work, being a part of a beautiful program, a special program called Character and Conflict uh, at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, at the time, I, I believe it's still going, where um, undergrad uh, students who are on the path to becoming social workers, therapists, um, uh, mental health professionals had an opportunity to experience and, and potentially facilitate uh, group therapy. We didn't call it group therapy. They are process groups, but, you know, it was supervised by psychotherapists. The professors in that were psycho, um, practicing psychotherapists and like created this revolutionary program back in the 60s. And I got to be a part of that. And that was such a huge springboard for me to, to step onto my path of purpose because I um, had a gift that started to emerge in that process as I was going through my own healing journey on that human level and just moving through so much as a participant and then having two years of, of opportunities to lead these 16-week, these semester-long uh, therapy groups. We didn't call it therapy because we weren't, you know, wouldn't be allowed to, but they were supervised um, and we'd have like, you know, we process all of that as, as uh, the leaders. So it's a big program. Um, and it was like, that really set me up and it all tied together, you know, with my, my history with my father, my absent father, the trauma my, on my father's side, and then moving to my mother's side and just like really my own healing journey deepened me into my purpose, mm. you know, deepened me into like what I'm here to birth onto this earth. And I didn't have a clear idea that, oh, I'm going to do men's work at all. It was like, it was really amorphous, even up to the point of like 2014, getting into this, um, being becoming a part of the, this collective called the Cosmic Consciousness. And we'd all um, speak about different parts. And mine was really this, and it still is, is really calling, um, calling upon humanity, calling upon my brothers and sisters to open their hearts to God. And, and, and to cultivate a direct ex, like relationship with God, because that's the source of everything. That's the source of all healing, of all order. And, and that's like the masculine principle, right? The divine father really brings order out of chaos. It really brings in, it's like the good father, right? Blesses mm -hmm. its children. And, and, and life is abundant in the kingdom when there's, a, there's that deep connection to God, mm -hmm. you know, in, in so many ways. Uh, and so that's what I, I would share about. Uh, you know, uh, my, my own revelation, my own, you know, channel being open at these gatherings and it would just, whatever came through, but it was often, yeah, there's also uh, talks of psychedelics as, as, as a meditation, spiritual practice. And so really having this open format that we promote through social media, a collective mm -hmm. of us. So we'd have hundreds of people coming out to these parks and we'd get to facilitate all, you know, yoga and there's meditations and, and, and workshops and talks and all these things. And, um, so I brought in my background of, of um, applied psychology and, and uh, these, these different theories and techniques of group therapy and counseling. Uh, and I started weaving it into the men, um, men's circles. Um, and what really kind of initiated that my, like my focus on men's work specifically was um, I was invited to co-facilitate, co co-host uh, a men's prayer circle. Uh, this is around the time of Standing Rock. And there was a, a call put out by the elders uh, for there to be men's circles and women's prayer circles, men's and women's prayer circles, you know, pray for the water protectors, meaning with Choni pray, really tap into the energy that we are holding the line. Um, and so after having, you know, been out to Standing Rock, uh, we did a donation with this group, of um, our group Cosmic Consciousness, and we, you know, done, done a donation drive and we got this call. And so I co-facilitated with one, one of my brothers at the time. And we, um, this was the first opportunity out that I had to be in an all men's space um, and to weave in the medicine that I had accumulated 
through my own journey of awakening and healing and going through, um, you know, years of therapy and alternative healing uh, and being able to, you know, and studying it and now being able to have a, wow, it just really emerged in an organic way. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that would happen, but I was like, oh, wow. And so I was just supporting us and moving the energy um, in a group setting, in a, in a, in all men's setting. And Mm -hmm. there's so much potency there. And I was like, wow, this is something, there's something really here. Um, but I was still not of the mind that this is what I'm meant to do. I was like, there's so, so many other things I'm interested in. And I'm, you know, uh, really wanting to bring through God and yeah. for like for everybody. Um, but that was the, those are the beginning early seeds um, that really um, paved the way, uh, that really grew into a, a beautiful, um, thriving uh, redwood or, or oak or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the tree that can provide shade for the, for the young ones or the wounded ones, the women and the children, uh, the, like just really at the core of it, it's like uh, this deep connection with the earth and using the seed analogy is so appropriate for that reason, because it's a return to our true nature as men. And, you know, and I do believe that uh, there's something intrinsic within us as being embodied in a, in a man body and completely open to everybody choosing their own path and identification. You know, and that's, I think, something that makes Sacred Sons really special because it's really about that sacred masculinity. It's really about um, returning to our own experience of what it is to be a man and defining that for ourselves. And it's a ripe space where there's men from all the different lineages coming in from all around the world, um, all different faiths, you know, coming in from all ages and, and, and colors. And it's just like this really so much diversity, you know, um, and it's like this remembrance and and coming to that point of like uh, coming back home to ourselves as men and what our responsibility is. Cause once we tap into the sacred, once we open our hearts to God, and once we start really, you know, fanning the flames and and tending the fire, because that's what really we're doing as sacred sons is tending the sacred fire so that men can return to our responsibility and what we're here to do. You know, why are we in these bodies in these time, in this time, why are we alive right now? What's our highest calling and our deepest purpose? And that's different. The expression is different for every man, but there's, I think at the core of it, you know, a protective energy, you know, we're watching out for the children. There's a father archetype that's online. It's no longer the absent father. Now it's the present father. And what does the present father do to ensure that his children will thrive, to ensure that his beloved and his family and his community will thrive? What is the responsibility that comes from that place of awareness and recognition and ownership? You know, and so it was really a organic process that brought me into men's work. And we call it masculine alchemy and sacred sons because, you know, it's honoring the past movements of men's work, like the mythopoetic movement um, and, and earlier movements, you know, of, of I, I believe this, this goes into the ancient, you know, I believe that we're tapping into uh, a sacred remembrance that's been with us since the beginning of time, since the beginning of humanity you know, since the beginning of civilizations that we might not even have any record of, you know, so. Mm. Well, yeah. not, not, <laughs> not written record, record yeah, not records written. in our DNA, you know, like yeah. ancient, it's in our yeah, souls. ancient codes. It's in our exactly. souls. Yeah. So beautiful. What you just to reflect back on some things that were coming up while you were speaking, I was really thinking about this journey of, you know, the concept of the wounded healer and this mm. idea that exactly that thing that we have not had or that, that exactly that thing that we have had taken from us is exactly mm. the thing that we have to give because we have oh. to find it for ourselves. We know how to help others find it also. Yeah. 
and just reflecting on you not having had any kind of father figure, any kind of masculine guidance means you, you had to discover that for yourself. You had to build that and create that for yourself. And so you're, you are obviously, of course, perfectly placed because of that loss in your own life to help other people find that for themselves too. I just think there's something so beautiful when we look when we, when we look at our traumas and our difficulties and challenges and are able to frame it in that way, you know, I find a lot of, I don't know, comfort or inspiration in that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, you know, it's been spoken to through myth, you know, throughout, throughout history, you know, of like the hero's journey, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the wounded healer, the path of the wounded healer, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell, uh, the hero with a, a thousand faces, you know, that's really that hero's journey of moving into the underworld, which is like really, as I see it, our unconsciousness, our traumas, uh, moving into the, the shadow side of life, you know, the stuff that's been repressed or that's been uh, carried over cross-generationally that we now must hold and carry on. And if we do so unconsciously, we will pass that on, that burden on to our children. Mm. Or if we are able to alchemize it and, and really be with it and allow us to inform our path forward, uh, then, there, then we bring in new life that, that, that's free of those karmic ties that bind us down to the lowest common denominator, you know? And so. Well, no, I yeah. just, it's, as you're talking, I'm just like, was scrolling through really old photographs on my phone, trying to find a quote earlier. And I didn't find the quote I was looking for, but I found this, which I screenshot in 2018. And I screenshot it again today because I'm like, that's important. And it says pain travels through family lines until someone is ready to heal it in themselves. By going through the agony of healing, you no longer pass the poison chalice onto, follow, onto the generations that follow. It is incredibly important and sacred work. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you, go. you know, there you go. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, it, it's really just my own revelation and like, you know, having that absent father uh, and, and a deep love and longing for the father that was yes. deeply in me of like, I love being with my dad. We'd go on road trips. He'd take us, you know, he was, he would come in up until when I was, you know, 11 or 12, when him and my mother had that huge falling out and he like disappeared from my life until I was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I loved the father. I loved my dad so deeply and like him, that unrequited love, him not being able to reciprocate, just not having the capacity to meet me at the level that I was feeling really shut me down. But I was a deeply feeling boy. I felt so deeply, you know, that was, that's, that's one of my superpowers is is to feel so deeply. (laughs) Um, But really it set me up so that I could, it was perfect. It was divine. And I saw it after it was all said and done and coming out of addiction, actually, God gave me this gift before I was awake to God. But I, I saw the, the understanding of what it really was before. Is this when I was 23, I, I'm back when my, my dad uh, came back into my life. He, he messaged me on MySpace of all places and was like angry and like, don't you dare circumcise your, your children. If you ever have kids, you're getting to the age where you might be having kids. And just was coming up with this energy of like telling me what to do. And I was just like, how dare you? Mm. Um, but I wasn't even able to articulate fully, but anyways, I had a vision, a dream that felt like a vision where I was in Japan and we spent some time in Japan. My father was an English teacher, uh, teaching in different countries in, in Asia, but he had got a residency at, at Tokyo university as their English teacher there. And, um, anyways, we are in Japan in this dream 
and the cherry blossoms were falling. And I was walking up these ancient stone steps and my, my dad was up there and um, we were walking, I was walking up and it was just this beautiful scene. And uh, he just embraced me like he had never, even when he did hug us, it was just, it was not like this, you know, because it wasn't felt, he didn't have the capacity to access it, but I felt just the fullness of love, of, of fatherly love in that, in that dream. And I was crying, I was weeping, uh, tears of just relief, of joy, of, of healing um, that like, that I, I could feel dad's love so strongly permeate me and fill me. And I woke up grieving, crying. I woke up just crying, feeling that sweetness, that like sadness, that sweetness. It was like that bittersweet um, energy. And um, really, I, as I learned, as I woke up more and more uh, to God as, as my real father, that like it was the perfect father to, to show me like the fallibility of man, of, the hu of humans, um, so that I could reach higher, reach beyond the veil and, and, and reach out like for my true father, for our true father, the father of all creation, the mother, it's father, mother, God, you know, it's both. Um, yeah. And so. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with sacred sons, from what I can see from an outsider, is that you facilitate um, retreats, circles, workshops, spaces for men to gather and unmask and explore what sacred masculinity might look like for them in their lives. And you, you utilize all sorts of rituals, initiations, a lot of um, physical kind of experiences. I see wrestling, I see dancing, I see chanting, I see drumming, and I see, yeah, conversation this is what I see as an outsider and like I said at the beginning you know when I see these circles I just um <laughs> I sometimes wish I could be a fly on the wall to hear what's being said to hear what's being spoken not that it's any of my business and it strikes me that this has all been unfolding against the backdrop of the Trump presidency, against the backdrop of Me Too, against the backdrop of this collective call to men particularly to really look at what's going on with so much of this toxic kind of caricatured masculinity that you were describing earlier, which yeah. is abusing my power, domination over others, sexual entitlement, excess, excess in all its forms, you know, mm -hmm. and I just, I'd love to hear from you what kinds of, because I, I wonder amongst conscious men's circles like how are these subjects being spoken about and i would love if you could maybe just share perhaps some of the kinds of questions that that men bring to your to the spaces that you're creating and how how you're addressing these kinds of sub these these kind of subjects which are so much in the consciousness and which so, are so ripe to be addressed you know i don't know if that question is specific enough but no it, it's, it's very much so yeah, and just you know, through through the genesis of of this being birthed, you know, me, I receiving the vision and, and and moving with it, and and just feeling the call, you know, after my son was born, after becoming a father, two days after my son was born, I committed to men's work. Um, I, I I prayed. I, I had a beautiful experience with sixty four men, um, and I, I was facilitating that, and I saw so much healing, so much grieving, so much letting go, so much of the let like of opening. Mm. I was like, wow, you know, if if we can bring this to the world, it will change everything. 
you know, because men are by and large the greatest perpetrators of harm onto humanity. It's like nine out of 10 crimes, rapes, assaults, you name it. It's like the vast majority are men. Women are doing it too, mm. but the vast majority are men, you know, uh, souls in the bodies of men and uh, souls in male bodies, however you want to would phrase, phrase mm. that. But I do believe mm. like, yeah, there's a, there's a responsibility for us as an organization, as sacred sons, uh, to really embody that in our leadership, to really embody the ethos of, of, and, and principles of, of what we ourselves as individuals believe, but also organizationally, there's enough resonance, you know? And so, yeah, um, it started out really organic, you know, and as we're growing, it's like, there's more structure and, and, you know, for our leadership now, the training is multi, multi-tiered, you know, to be able to come to a point of being trusted. And that's also a part of, uh, coming into the brotherhood because it's a it's an authentic it's a living breathing brotherhood where there's so many deep connections that are supported and fostered and deepened um, at these experiences and then carried over into our lives you know men become like bros friends you know and they and that and that relation those relationships this this beautiful mycelial network we call it the mycelial mm-hmm. network of men and uh you know really just uh and learning to answer the questions for themselves, because that's what we're here to do is not answer the questions for them and tell them what it is, but to just show them what it is and show them what's possible by creating the spaciousness, which is really the feminine, right? Opening up the space in so many ways. And so, you know, we create the structure and, and, and hold the space, but that openness, that spaciousness is a quality of the feminine, you know? And, and so we can be in that and be in these deep, you know, these, these, these deep uh, ceremonies, where we're really calling upon the sacred, where we're praying together, where we're singing together, dancing and healing and grieving and really moving through the human experience together. And it's not, you know, we moved away from like this uh, workshop kind of model where we didn't kind of a little bit in the beginning where we had mm-hmm. different speakers and, and uh, presenters experience, uh, present an experience or an offering to men. And now it's deepening into like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much more ceremonial and even within the containers of, of, you know, like the physical confrontation, what we call ritual combat space where men can wrestle, where men can box, where men can spar, grapple, and really get physical and in their body and be challenged, but from a place of love and not from a place of trying to harm, but from a place of just like, it's deep in us. Like we, we love to, to push up against each other to see how far we can go and how much we can give. It's just a quality of, of, of men that we, I think, so many of us didn't get enough of in a healthy way as we were boys, right? Mm. Uh, this, this, you know, the sports we experience maybe some of it, but it's always like so, like so much pressure, so much else comes with that of of winning, of uh, you know, of like this this uh, you know unconscious aspect of it, you know, the masculine drive to like you got to be the best or you're nothing, mm. you know, and so really leading and creating the spaciousness for men to experience and re-experience, have a, have a corrective experience around maybe something that they have wounding with, such as fighting, such as violence, you know, such as sports, such as being picked in PE, right? Whatever it was, but there's like these so many corrective experiences that are built into our brotherhood of just being together that's born of our intimate relationships with each other as friends, as brothers who have been doing this for years, being bros for years, you know, and so... Uh, men come in, I think, with a lot of confusion, you know, with a lot of wanting to know, wanting to feel more, wanting to be connected, wanting to be better men. That, that call is like, you know, I don't want to be, uh, you know, letting out my anger on my family. 
Now, I want to be a good father. I'm, I'm, I'm going to become a father soon. And they know they have some pieces that they, get, that they have to bring online to be a good father. So they, they, you know, there's a level of awareness of men coming into sacred sons because the name says it all. Sacred sons. You know, there's a, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a huge responsibility and a great humility there as well because it's sacred, right? We're tapping into the, the numinous, the essence of, of where we come from and what we are. And at the same time, it's like we're honoring ourselves as sons. We are all sons of the fathers and we're also sons of the most high. We're sons of the creator. And, uh, you know, we're not like, you know, it'd be different if it was like kings, you know, the powerful king, empowered kings or something like that. Right. It's like it's yeah. coming from a place of humility. And so it's a, a filter right there for whether men want to, you know, be in touch with the sacred. Can you do are you open minded enough to, to come in and, and just like experience it? have a direct experience with what this is and what this is about. And so many men get rocked because they come in with some ideas and judgments and projections and fears and all the things It brings up all the things when you have a group of, you know, 300 men that you're walking into without an idea of what this is going to be, or even 50 men, right. Or even 20 men, you know? And so these definitely are not retreats. You know, I I think that that's like, an, uh, you know, I get it, you know, it's retreat from life, but this is actually a deepening into life. Mm. You know, so it's, a, it's an opportunity to embody and experience the depths of what we are and who we are as men. And so it's not so much a telling or like a, you know, a questioning or being in our head. It's just, a, you know, dropping men into their bodies, into their hearts, into the, and, and energy moves when there's space that's created. When we, you know, really open up the space and we're in our hearts and we're in these, you know, beautiful ritual connection spaces, we call it ritual connection or which, uh, you know, ritual con- well, ritual confrontation is, is like really at the peak of it. And then ritual connection and ritual combat are ways to, to get into it, you know, but it's through confrontation. It's, it's confronting aspects of ourselves that are just no longer serving us, that are harming ourselves and others. Yeah. It's confronting, you know, the old, the, what maybe what was imposed upon us, the false beliefs, you know, the toxic behaviors, uh, perceptions, you know, and, and so there's, there's deep. Um, confrontations, you know, in, in matters of, of, of what it is to be a man, of, of race, of, of gender, of, of our responsibility. And so, you know, we're really touching on, on, on the depths of our humanity together as men. And I think just without the, the feminine there, um, uh, at least in, in embodied form, without women there, it opens up the space for us to not be pulled away into all the other stuff that comes with that dynamic. You know, we need, there's, there's an importance of coming into this work first so that we can really know ourselves and connect with who we are and define for ourselves what it is for me to be a man in this world, in my family, in my community. So it's going to be different for every man to some degree, but we create the space for men to have a direct experience with the sacred through prayer, through sweat lodge, through these different practices, somatic work, um, nature connection, uh, you know, pushing our physical edges uh, and just really just the brotherhood, the vibing out, creating music together, laughing, dancing, just like, you know, allowing our inner boy to come out and play and, and just being in a safe place where men can really feel uh, full permission to be themselves, no matter who they are, you know, no matter what they've done. And that's also the responsibility that I feel as a, as a, as a, as a founder and uh, as a space holder, as a leader is to be able to meet a full range and to deepen my capacity and expertise to be able to meet the full range of man um, all across the board, you know, like no man left behind in that sense 
of just like, you're all welcome. Mm. And I'll meet you as to the full depths that I'm able to. And I've met, you know, both perpetrator and victim. I've held both. I've met both with compassion. And it's, 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 it's intense for that to be in the, alive in the same room. You know, so you're not the only one that's had that reflection. I want to be a fly on the wall at these experiences. And I've always thought and felt in, at different moments at almost every gathering. If the world could see and feel what we're doing, it would change everything. It would everything. revolutionize our planet. It would set off a tidal wave of healing that would consume and, and, and break down all that is not right, all that is not aligned with the most high, with the, the force of unconditional love that we are here to embody and grow into through trials and tribula tribulations like the lotus, you know, growing from the mud of experience into the just full bloom. And so, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're, I'm committed. We're all deeply committed to bringing this to the world and uh, calling, in, calling in all those who, who wish to feel and remember uh, who they are beyond, you know, the ideas that they were, they inherited from their family, from the culture, from their environment, from society, from the world, and really to, you know, have these deeper numinous experiences that are just born of being in a safe place yeah. out in nature with men who, who are just the most incredible men. Like I love my brothers so much and there's such beautiful reflections of God, you know, and uh, together, you know, there's that, Thich Nhat Hanh recently transitioned, right? Thich Nhat Hanh, the beautiful uh, Buddhist teacher and, and, and guide, you know, they, you know, it's, it's Vietnamese for teacher. And um, he spoke to the next Buddha coming, not in the form uh, of uh, one embodiment, but of, of the Sangha, right? Of the community. And I've had many of these transpersonal experiences when, when we're really in these deep sacred spaces together of like, oh, wow, this is happening. Yeah. This is, this is us. This is what we are. This is what this is. This is, this, this is what this is. And I, I believe it's happening all over the world in different ways. And it's like the remembrance of the power of, of the one within community that we are all part of the one. We're all here to embody the one. And it's not just like this separate cut off one person kind of thing. It's like all of us together remembering. Yeah. Coming together as a whole, what you described about the experiential element is so important. And I think about it just to bring it back to this kind of idea of sober curious in a way, like why I think this works for people. When I say works, like people who, people reflect back to me all the time, like it was engaging with this work that actually helped me to really make a sustainable change in my, my drinking, my substance use is that it's about the experience. It's not about me saying, yeah. here's the rule book and you follow these steps and like, then you will come out yeah. the other end sober. It's like, no, go live. Here are some guidelines. Here's <laughs> how I am. I'm approaching this. Just go do it. You're going to fuck yeah. up. You're going to, yeah. you're going to fall like, and that's part yeah. of it. Just do it, live it, be it, and you will become it. Right. And the yeah. other thing that I think is so key in terms of what you're saying about this, this idea, when I think about, kind of a wounded masculinity I think so much of it boils back down to that domination and competition but what you described as like getting setting up situations to have conflict to rub up against otherness to be tested in our boundaries where we've removed the competitive element we've removed the some there's going to be a winner and a loser that to me speaks to like what how, that's how we come together to solve the world's problems we can't yeah. we can't approach a problem like let's take climate change without conflict, without 
differing needs, differing opinions, differing ideas without conflict. But whilst conflict is tied up with competition and dominance, we're just going to end up back in the same place at this impasse yeah. of, well, we need this and you want that and who's going to get what they want, you know, mm. rather than mm. like, how can we work through and with this conflict to actually find a resolution that is going to like work for everybody. And so mm-hmm. giving people the experience. And the final thing I want to reflect on from what you shared, yeah. and perhaps we can okay. kind of close in this, but like you talk a lot about brotherhood and you talk about yourselves as being bros. The term bro has negative connotations, right? Like, sure. And, and I think it's because when I think brotherhood, bros, I think fraternities, I think frat, and I think some, sure. some of what might be the possibly most toxic breeding grounds for kind of, you know, an, an, an unsacred masculinity, you know, mm, and where yeah. there is so much substance abuse, so much sexual abuse, so much like, oh, yeah. just so, many, so much toxicity, basically. And so I like mm-hmm. the way that you were reclaiming the word the concept of bro and brotherhood oh, yeah. is that conscious on your part <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's definitely a reclamation you know and then you know we all you know every man you know uses different words you know my brethren my brother bro mm-hmm. um you know diego young pueblo would all you know he'd be like love you bro you know bring that in <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think that there's um, there's definitely a, a reclamation in brotherhood that happens where it's almost like being in a sacred brotherhood. And I and I use you know I I I, I say sacred brotherhood because I think having the foundation that there's a greater power than any of us that's that's that that we are accountable to that we are mm-hmm. responsible to kind of has this built. It's like a a safeguard to keep the ego in check. If there's you know parts of us that might want to express in that way, it's like you're in this big brotherhood where we're, you know, we're like, what are we here to embody? It's like, it's known, it's clear. That's the field. It's a field of integrity, you know, by and large, of course, there's going to be misalignments here and there or broness, maybe some shadow aspects that's not been integrated, but Mm. it's very quick in such an emotionally attuned group, Mm. you know, with like just so much consciousness that it's like, it kind of comes to the surface to be met in some way, shape and form to be, you know, rooted out, to be seen for what it is as separation, as, you know, in many ways, the, the contracting force of reality that we're up against, you know, which is like, you know, you want to call it the toxic masculine or whatever. It's like, I, I think that, that, you know, I don't prefer to use that term, but it, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's toxicity in it. Um, and so to be able to reclaim like words and, you know, reclaim what brotherhood really is like, yeah. not, not an old boys club, you know, yeah. but like, a brotherhood of men who love each other, who love their families, who love their partners, who love their community, who love the earth and, and are connected to nature and the natural world and in reverence to the sacred that we are going to be a part of this, you know, and to have the humility to recognize that we are sons and we are stewards. Right. And so, yeah, there's a massive reclamation there. And I think even just stepping into the field and having the openness, there, there, there's a certain level of consciousness needed and openness needed to be able to step in. It takes courage to yeah. step in. You know? and so I was thinking that when you were describing a guy turning up to a weekend of 300 men, like with all of the conditioning about, I have to prove myself, I have to be the top dog. I have to, you know, like, God, that must be so confronting, but that's part it's of the process, it's, right? It is. 
It is. Yeah. yeah. I love, I just love this vision and I, I hope that it's coming through. Like this is why I love the Instagram because I get to feel like I can sort of be that cheering you guys on in a way or just like, yeah. You know and it's, and it's the building the way to the, the sacred union of the, of the, of the coming together, masculine and feminine, which, yeah. you know, I was, I was honored to, to bring through at the end of December of last year, this past year, uh, we brought through the sacred union. And that's really what we've also been building to is uh, to prepare men in, in, in their embodiment to be able to hold space for the depths of what the feminines had to hold as a result of our misalignment. And so it's coming back to meet the, the pain that, that, that our ancestors and, and, and that men from throughout time and, and mm-hmm. humans from throughout time have perpetrated upon humanity in the most horrific of ways, genocide, burning humans alive, mm-hmm. all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we are here to create the spaces where we can alchemize that and transmute that and, and that's the, you know, coming into sacred union to be able to meet the feminine, like literally meet them and hold them and be the masculine to really create the structure for them to, to go fully into it. It's just been, wow, the fulfillment of a, of a deep prayer, I think, of humanity for men and women to heal together and to come into sacred union together and to remember and celebrate our, our, this beautiful life together yeah. and to come from a place of unity and, and seeing each other and loving each other deeply. It's, it's, it's revolutionary. It really is. Just to close, you've been so generous with your time. You are a father to two sacred sons. <laughs> and um, I suppose, I mean, you know, we've gone to such deep places and this seems a little kind of surface, but I, I'm, I get asked a lot, what should I teach my kids about alcohol? What should I teach my kids about substances and i wonder i mean your kid your your boys are young um but i'm just curious like what your answer to that question would be like how do we steward our our youth in a world that is where everything is drugified as i heard termed recently yeah so i know people have differing opinions and even people uh, a lot of my brothers within sacred sons have differing opinions uh you know, it is my, my experience and belief that uh, alcohol uh, is, is really uh, not supportive of, of our embodiment of our sacred masculinity. This is just my uh, belief. And of course, it's one thing to, you know, um, engage in a substance with consciousness and with like just knowing who we are and what we're, why we're going into it with the right intention, you know? And so there, mm-hmm. there can be uh, use that it doesn't, move into unhealthy expressions, right? That doesn't fuel that. Um, but for myself personally, I, my, what that looks like is just not drinking and embodying that. And, you know, I, I had a toast recently, a champagne toast. I allowed myself that. But to me, it's like uh, consciousness-wise, I'm on the path of, of consciousness evolution. And personally, like I, I'm here to go as deep, deep on my path and deep into God as I can. Mm. Uh, and I don't know how deeply I'll be able to by my, by the end of my life, but I just know that alcohol for me, when I feel it, when I, when I do partake of it, even like one beer, um, I just feel it diminish my consciousness. And I feel the hangover, the energetic hangover, like not the act like physical hangover, but like the energetic hangover for me, mm. uh, just my, my instrument, I, I need to keep it finely tuned. And so for my son to impart uh, like, if he asked me like, Hey dad, like, you know, what's alcohol. Um, and I would say, it, you know, it's something that you can, 
learn for yourself if you want, if you choose to when you're older, but I don't personally do it uh, because I found that it was uh, not supportive of my happiness. It wasn't supportive of my health, um, you know, but other people have different experiences and I, I, you know, you get to explore that for yourself once you're older. Mm. That's, yeah. I love the simplicity of that. It's not supportive of my happiness. I think any kid would understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bear, thank you again. This has been wonderful, a wonderful conversation. I can't believe like an hour and a half has gone. It went in the blink of an wow. eye almost. So you're yeah. so, it's wonderful listening to you. It's wonderful <laughs> sharing in your vision. I'm so, so excited to share this with um, thank you so much my listeners being. too. So I've already mentioned the Instagram several times. It's at Sacred Sons. Is there anywhere else where you would like to send people to check yeah. out your work? Yeah, at Sacred Sons. My personal is all Bear Bastia. Um, yeah, sacredsons.com. Check out our website. We're always having up. We're actually coming out to the UK uh, this summer for the first time. So uh, awesome. really excited to come out to Scotland and anchor the energy because we get messages from people from all around the world saying, come here, come here. Uh, but we really like really want to honor like an ancestral connection. And we, several of us do have connection to Scotland, mm. but we want men to come out and, mm. and bring it back, that bring it back. And so, but yeah, this is um, sacredsons.com. Uh, it's perfect yeah and Sacred Sons on Instagram thank you again thank you so much Ruby that was my conversation with Aubert Bastia this is the kind of stuff that I love talking about if you can't tell and I'm really curious to hear what you are taking away from this episode you can let us know either on social media or by leaving a review wherever you are listening to this above all though thank you for being here the Sober Curious podcast, as always, features original music and is edited by Allo Audio. And you can find them at aloeaudio.com. By Allo Audio. And you can find them at aloeaudio.com.